You are entering the Freedom Hut. President Trump threatens to pull the security clearances of some of his deep state opponents. Will that go anywhere? What does it mean? Plus, the FISA abuse is more clear now than ever. 412 pages released over the weekend. Hmm, interesting. That show the dossier was central to the preposterous surveillance of Carter Page. Also, the left would be more effective criticizing Trump on TV if they can find people who didn't sound so crazy when they did it. We got that and much more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Not only is the president looking to take away uh, Brennan's security clearance, he's also looking into the clearances of Comey, Clapper, Hayden, Rice, and McCabe. The president is exploring the mechanisms to remove security clearance because they've politicized and in some cases monetized their public service and security clearances, making baseless accusations of improper contact with Russia or being influenced by Russia against the president is extremely inappropriate. And the fact that people with security clearance clearances are making these baseless charges provides inappropriate legitimacy to accusations with zero evidence welcome to the buck sexton show a shot across the bow of the deep state from the president from the white house today you just heard from sarah huckabee sanders there on these former senior intelligence and uh, national security and, and law enforcement officials who have become a, a a virtual industry unto themselves of trying to tear down the president of the United States. Now, this is very troubling for many reasons. I will get into it. And these are people from my former community. And so as somebody who at one point was working to the mission that these men who have come out now say that they are devoted to, they say they have been devoted to, I can tell you that this is what they've been doing to President Trump have the former CIA director, the former NSA director, the former FBI director, or just go down the list. It is appalling. They have become partisan hacks, not even good critics, but partisan hacks of the Trump administration. This is not the way it's supposed to be. National security at this level, at the level of a director of an agency, uh, the head of the FBI, they're supposed to be above this. And they can't pretend to be above it while simultaneously taking all kinds of cheap shots against the sitting commander in chief, which is what they've been doing. That's what's really at issue here. Now, I know people are going to get it all into this. Oh, are they still are their clearances active? And, you know, you have to you can dig into this as much as you want. Some of them, if they were fired like McCade, their clearance, I believe, is deactivated immediately. Others who voluntarily separate may have either a clearance that's easy to resurrect quickly or they might retain some privileges. It's honestly complicated. Depends on where you are in the government. You know, Hayden, who I worked for, I worked for Hayden. Okay, this was he was my CIA director for a while. He wrote that he did. He I don't go back for classified briefings won't have any effect on what I say or write. So Trump is trying to make a point here. It doesn't matter really whether these guys still have their current access or not. Keep in mind that even if they don't have an active clearance, 
given who they are and what they've done, it's very likely that they'd be able to get one quickly. Let's say if there were, oh, I don't know, a Democrat administration in a few years. So you could expect that. But but something very troubling has happened, and the president has been locked on to this recently, and he understands what's going on here, and that is that as part of the deep state war against this president from within the government, not only did people use and abuse their classified access to try and undermine the president as he came into office, before he took office, there were leaks to the media, felonious leaks to the media, specifically designed to hurt Trump and those around him. And with some success, I would add. There's no question that there are folks with very high-level access who have been playing politics. That's not, a, that's not up for debate or discussion. We know this. And I don't just mean playing politics in an illegal way. They were willing to break the law. There are people who are such hashtag resistance ideologues that they are willing to risk prison for themselves in order to force a bad news cycle on Trump. Isn't that a particularly acute form of Trump derangement syndrome? Former CIA director, former NSA director, former FBI director, former DNI. I mean, you look at all of this and you see that there was a a part of the elite echelon of the government. Remember, these are not the ground pounders. These are not the people day in and day out. You know, whether you're a door kicker or a cubicle warrior, this is not them, right? Whatever you're doing in the intel community or the national security side, thank you for doing your job. I was, I was one of you, so I know how it goes. This doesn't really, it doesn't affect all these stories you read, by the way. These stories you read from people say, oh, you know, the morale at Langley is in the... Uh, these journalists don't know anything. They probably got two or three sources at these places, max, that are just taking the temperature for them. I mean, it's nonsense. I know plenty of people at a lot of these different agencies, and guess what? They think Trump is just great. <laughs> so the stories you hear uh, about how Trump is, you know, he, he's, he's at war with the intelligence community, they'll say. Or they'll even just say that America now is the intelligence community, which is a scary thing. Under a different administration, you would think to yourself, why is that conflation going unchallenged? But in this get Trump at all costs, at any cost, environment where anything goes everything goes they, they simply do not care what they trample in the process and that's why he's threatening to take away the clearances of these individuals i saw john brennan in an interview and we've seen the tweet he's calling the pre- he's saying that president's guilty of treason he's saying the president is uh effectively a controlled agent of of russia i, I saw john brennan suggest that, you know, he knows some stuff about Trump that if we knew, we'd feel we'd feel differently about him. And that doesn't get any more more dirty and, and underhanded than that. It really doesn't. Uh, it, it's it's not. You know, you're not going to be in a situation where you find a, a CIA director who's able to former director who's able to regain credibility after playing that game on TV. It is just simply, uh, simply appalling. But there's a desperation now. Desperation is growing. And it comes from, I think, a recognition that the more we find out about this this fable of Russia collusion, the more we find out about this, this fantasy that the president of the United States, 
with Carter Page at the center of it? I mean, are these are these people serious? I had I had uh, you know Carter Page on the show, and I, I've had him on a couple of shows, and I I talked to him at length on and off air about all this. If you think that Carter Page was part of an international Kremlin conspiracy to steal the election from Hillary, you're either a liar or you're not very smart. Or I guess you're wildly ignorant of all the facts of the case. Maybe there's a third option. But there's no good option. There's no version of this where you sound normal and reasonable and and well-informed where you think that Carter Page is the centerpiece. We'll we'll get into that fight. By the way, we've got Andy McCarthy joining us in a little bit here. He's the best guy on this subject out there. I mean, he's not even, he doesn't even want to fight with people on Twitter or anything, but he just, he swats away the deep state apologists like flies, you know, getting swatted off the back of an elephant. I mean, just, he's like, this is, what a joke. They keep coming at him. He's like, I worked in the Southern District of New York for over 20 years. That's the big show for federal prosecutors, folks. It's a big deal. Worked on national security cases. Prosecuted the blind shake, the first World Trade Center bombing mastermind. He knows this stuff backwards and forwards, and he's going to tell you this FISA situation is really bad. It's really bad. Uh, They were abusing this process to get Trump. They were abusing this process on a fishing expedition, and it's an end run of the Fourth Amendment. It's it it should be unconstitutional. It really is unconstitutional, despite what we're all. Oh, the FISA court. FISA court never says no from what we can gather or rarely, if ever rejects a request so what does that really mean about it but we, we will get there in a bit we've, we've got a lot here a lot here that we have to uh, have to discuss some very important things but on, on this pulling of the clearances think about the long-term damage you know we have all these people that want to lecture us want to lecture you and want to lecture me on how trump undermines institutions this is what you'll hear oh he's undermining our institutions he's doing all these terrible things to us And then look at what this and how this will impact these same institutions. To have the former directors of the intelligence agencies not just disagree with the president in writing on formal terms, but become shills for the left to sign contracts as fast as they can at left-wing networks that have completely lost their minds. I mean, CNN is a place that has been overcome with vitriol and anti-Trump delusion. They have lost it, and I really mean that. From an editorial perspective, it's like a crazy person is deciding what they cover and how they cover it when it comes to Trump. It's just Trump-related, but they can't help it. But for the former chiefs of the national security apparatus in this country to go out there and become the just pathetic partisans, not even smart partisans. you got Hayden tweeting out a photo of a concentration camp to hit Trump on our southern border. You got Brennan saying it's treason. You get Clapper and others saying that he's in the control of the Russians. These are these are clownish statements. They're not even good critics of the administration. You want to talk about undermining institutions? I think a lot of Americans are looking around saying, who are the imbeciles we have running these places? Look at Comey. He's like a like a scorned eighth grade girl. That couldn't sit at Trump's lunch table, so he starts leaking memos, anything to undermine Comey. Or undermine Trump, rather. For Comey, that, that's all he wants to do. You're going to tell me that 
this is good for how we view these institutions. These places have a lot of power, folks. FBI comes after you. You're in a world of hurt. I don't care if you're innocent. If they decide they're looking into you, it's going to be rough. DOJ, same thing. We're going to let these partisan hacks just have their way and run around and sign contracts at CNN and MSNBC. The whole idea being that that not only do they have classified access, recent highest level classified access to draw upon for their criticism, criticisms, but on top of that, these were some of the very same people implicated in a plot that is nothing less than a soft coup to overthrow the president of the United States to destroy the results of an election, that's who's going on TV now. It's not just that they're giving their thoughts on this plot against Trump. The plotters are giving their thoughts on the plot. This is undermining any sense of good faith that we could have when it comes to the media. This is undermining the trust that we can put in these institutions, at least when Democrats are in charge. Who wants to bet that no matter what happens with with the election in 2020 you're not going to have trump appointees that are obviously trying to nullify the results of that election i promise you that's a that's a safe uh, a safe bet for you to make right now undermining institutions that they, they are kicking at the load-bearing walls of our national security agencies and doing it with a psychotic glee on their faces and, and, and then they want to lecture us about how he talks to Putin. And then they want to tell us about how he's, you know, not friendly enough to our NATO allies and all this other stuff. And I just want to say, you know, the loudest critics, they had their chance, especially from the Obama era. But from the Bush era, too, the loudest critics had their chance and they blew it. You know, not only do we not need their counsel, we don't want it. We saw what it was like for eight years. We can figure out how to bow on our own. Thank you very much. We don't need those who were part of that disaster telling us what to do. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. We're going to talk more about this Pfizer memo. We've got Andy McCarthy joining us shortly. Cohen has agreed to uh, pass along a bunch of recordings of Trump. But here's the really important fact that the media might not focus enough on. They'll tell you, but they won't focus. Trump said, yeah, fine, waive attorney-client privilege. Nothing to hide. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Uh, And then we've got the uh, socialist left rising up. Comey trying to swat them down from, you know, nine feet up in the air. Uh, We got that. We got a whole lot more, team. Stay with me. The president wants to has purposefully uh, remained uninvolved in this process. Uh, he said repeatedly that he wants the Department of Justice to be fully transparent with these requests from Congress. Uh, and he's going to continue at this point to uh, remain uninvolved. However, he sees more and more every single day that this is uh, proving further and further to be a total witch hunt, particularly because it was based on a false and unverified and dis- credited dossier you know you, you can't help but look if, if you get a chance well it's 412 pages so don't waste your time I, I read it over the weekend so you don't have to okay but when you're going through this thing that people are still defending this is 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 astonishing the dossier here's a british guy who hasn't from what i understand been in russia in decades 
who's using uh, using Russian subsources to pull together an oppo an oppo document which is literally just, the, the, the way oppo works is just you gather all of the rumors and all the garbage you can about somebody and in a place like russia which is rife with conspiracies of all kinds right i mean if if somebody's faucet doesn't work in russia it's there's some elaborate theory as to why that is involving the government and the kremlin and you know who knows right but that we're in this circumstance right now where people are still pointing to this dossier as anything other than a complete hit job. I mean, a paid-for gossip rag, essentially, is amazing to me. I was an intelligence analyst. I did this all the time. I did this for years, all right? I looked at these things all day. If I would never have presented the information that the FBI presented as though I could tell whether it was true or not. People make stuff up. Fabricators are everywhere. People who are just fabricating stuff are everywhere, right? There are liars everywhere. And that you would... This would be like... Remember when they uh, a while back there were some background files on... Uh, background files on various officials, I forgot. But it was found in the, in the Clinton White House, right? They had these back... And the raw background files are really sensitive. You know why? It's not because there's such bad stuff about people you'll find out from background investigation files that's necessarily true. It's because they interview every ex-wife and ex-husband, you know, ex-girlfriends and ex-boyfriends, ex-landlords, ex-room, and they you're just going to get people who are trying to deep. Anybody who's been doing anything in life has people out there who are trying to deep six them one way or another. All right. Everybody. And if you look at a document that is supposed to be all the information you can gather on somebody that's derogatory, there's going to be a lot of stuff in there. You think, wow, I, I didn't know that so-and-so was into that or would do that. Or The answer is, or the reality is you don't know. It's just a rumor. They presented rumors to the secret government surveillance court against a presidential advisor during a campaign and Comey and Yates signed off on it. This is completely inexcusable and crazy. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. The FBI presenting to uh, the FISA court an application for a search warrant against a United States citizen and then followed by three renewals uh, when they were basing it on a very flawed document, the so-called Steele dossier that has never been verified. Even after all of this came out, they attempted to verify it and failed. Look, there's no question that the FISA court <clears throat> didn't know everything the FBI knew. The FBI withheld material from the FISA court. The question is, was that enough? Uh, the question is, was there other material that would have given the court authorization to issue the warrant? These are issues we don't know enough about because there's so much redaction. I'm glad the disclosure is out there because we, the American public, 
can decide for ourselves whether or not the FBI was fully forthright in providing the information to the FISA court. My own opinion, no, they weren't forthright okay. enough. Yeah, the Dershway in there and Bob Goodlap before him on this whole FISA situation. They dropped this 400 page report with tons of redactions on a Saturday over the summer. That seems suspicious enough on its own. We've got somebody who is a true expert in these matters to join us to talk about what really matters from the FISA uh, document dump. Andy McCarthy is with us. You all know him from National Review. He's got a great piece up there right now. Uh, that the FBI relied on the unverified steel dossier, also Fox News contributor. Andy, thanks for coming by. Huck, it's my pleasure. So uh, talk to me about, you know, verified versus unverified. That features as a large part of this discussion, and you get into it in some depth in your article. It, it seems like there, there's a problem here, Andy. Well, yeah, there's a, a huge problem, Buck, because the... FBI, for two main reasons. I mean, first of all, the FBI's own procedures, their, their manual for how they're supposed to conduct investigations domestically, that's investigations in this country under the laws of this country, require that when they come to the FISA court, they are supposed to bring only verified information. They make a point of special emphasis on verification in connection with FISA proceedings, and that's really because of what my second point is, which is that unlike criminal proceedings where everybody knows if there's a warrant, eventually it's going to be unsealed and the defense is going to be given copies of it, they'll be able to challenge it. If there are any irregularities, they'll become known. In the FISA court, everything is classified and secret, which means the only due process an American citizen who's targeted with a surveillance warrant is ever going to get is the FBI and the Justice Department honoring the rules and the court making sure that they're exacting uh, in forcing the government to comply with the rules because they'll never get a chance to challenge it. Now, Andy, from what you see in this uh, in this document, um, 412 pages, a lot of it redacted, are, are or should we be more concerned that the FISA court looks like a rubber stamp process, or does this look more like abuse to you uh, based on the fact that, as you make the point, if the stuff that was redacted verified the dossier, it wouldn't be redacted anymore? Right. Well, yeah, I, you know, I think a couple of things about that, Buck. Um, you know, obviously, I think the Democrats on the committee would have fought very hard to release anything that was corroborative of what was in the Steele dossier. And the FBI, which is famously uh, aggressive about tending to its good reputation, would make sure that everybody knew that, that this thing that they used had been corroborated. The FBI is not famously known to suffer in silence, and I don't think they would have if they had a good response to this. Plus, I don't really think we need to speculate a lot, Buck, because it's not like there haven't been, for over a year, a lot of congressional proceedings and hearings into this. And we know that uh, former Director Comey has told the Senate that uh, they relied on my, uh, Christopher Steele's own reputation with the FBI rather than uh, the 
ability to corroborate his sources, which, of course, were anonymous Russians who were, uh, you know, pro- proffering second and third hand hearsay. Uh, we know from uh, McCabe, uh, the former deputy director of the FBI, that the Bureau tried very hard to corroborate Steele's dossier. And the only thing when he was pressed by the House committee, uh, the only thing he was able to come up with that they corroborated was something that everyone knew, which was that Carter Page went to Russia in July. And then we have uh, Steele himself, who was being sued for libel in England. And in the proceedings in England, uh, he himself has said that his dossier was unverified uh, raw intelligence that needed to be run down in order to be considered reliable. So, so it's not like we're speculating here. There's a lot of evidence on the record that they never corroborated this. And that's your point about about verifying and corroborating it is that it's not that they uh, are, are accurately relaying the information that was relayed to them, which is what it seems they, they use verification as in this FISA application, they're supposed to find out if the information relayed to them, meaning the FBI agents, is accurate information in advance of presenting it to the FISA court. That's exactly right. You know, that that's really the point, and I tried to make this point in my column. I think that the Bureau, when they, you know, th- this document book that they submit to the court is actually called a verified application. And they actually say in it, they come out and say that they have, uh, that this is a verified application. They say it again and again, and of course it's not verified. And I think that they had a very hyper-technical understanding, or, or at least what they were talking among themselves, th- their understanding of what verified meant. What they, say, what they would tell you verified meant was we accurately reported to the court what Steele reported to us. And that's not the, that's not buddy sensible means by verified. What verified means is what did you run down what Steele reported to you? Which is to say, did you do what the FBI routinely does? Which is when they get information, uh, they go out and they try to verify it. They go out and they talk to witnesses and, you know, they, they scrub documents. They have a famously competent forensic lab. Uh, I mean, when the FBI does actual corroboration, actual verification, nobody does it better. So it really astounds me and and disappoints me deeply to hear the FBI say that this was verified when it's so beneath their normal standards. And Andy, you know, I want to go back. We're speaking to Andy McCarthy, everybody, National Review and and Fox News contributor. Uh, Go back to my judgment education here for a moment. You know, I could feel like Father So-and-so standing over us right now and saying, you know, (laughs) If if you don't have the sources, you pad the big bibliography. If you have the sources, you don't need to pad the bibliography. And that's what I feel like is, right. is right. kind of an underlying principle here with this. Why put in all this stuff about the dossier if you had this other good stuff and Carter Page was such a threat? And no one can give me a good answer to that yet. Well, that's because there isn't a good answer. And I and I think, Buck, that you're you've really hit it on the head because it seems to me the FBI, more than anyone else, knew what the weaknesses of the Steele dossier were, and I'm sure did not want to use it. I mean, they knew that this was unverified, anonymous, Russian, multiple hearsay, really, you know, very low-level information, even though the, the allegations themselves were 
very sensational. And they knew that this was coming from the opposition political campaign. So I think nobody better than the Bureau knew what the weaknesses of this document were. And I'm certain they really didn't want to use it. And if they had gone out and corroborated it, as I thought they would from the beginning, you know, at the beginning, I told people when the FBI went to the FISA court, I'm sure they never even mentioned the Steele dossier, because what they would have done normally is take the eight or nine useful facts that they found in the dossier, go out and independently corroborate them. And that's what would have been presented to the court, not the screed, right, from, from the opposition party. So you know that if they had been able to corroborate this thing, you never would have heard about the Steele dossier, or at least the, the FISA court wouldn't have. And, but, Andy, you know, should we assume that the FISA process isn't – because, you know, you have been, and you were very upfront about this both in your piece, and I know because you've been coming on this show talking to us about this entire process and, and the FISA application on Carter Page and everything else – for a long time, you know, well over a year now, stretching back right. in the early days of this investigation. And you were saying, you know what, guys, let's wait. Let's hold, you know, you're holding me back a little bit. You're saying, let's wait. Let's see what they've got. This process works works pretty well. And and, and now you've seen this, and it sounds to me, and, and from what you've written here, you're saying it didn't work well here. Is that a problem in the whole FISA process, or is this just uh, one time when you think that they decided to play fast and loose and abuse a process that is otherwise pretty good when it comes to FISA? Yeah, well, that's a great question, Buck. And the problem is that we know so little of what happens under this cone of secrecy and classification that it's really not possible to give an answer. The only time we ever really hear about anything with respect to the FISA court is either when something goes wrong or when something goes boom and we hear that, you know, there was, uh, you know, there were FISA warrants or whatever on, on terrorists and what have you. We don't really have a great understanding of what goes on. And I must tell you, I have never been a fan of the FISA court. I think it was a mistake to create it in the first place. And I think you would probably get better behavior out of the executive branch if they had to take the political weight for things like political spying, you know, for abusing the process. But here, they run to this court, which gives them an order, and no matter how much we end up finding out that this was abusive, the way that they did this process, they keep coming back and saying, but this was signed off on by four different judges, all appointed by Republicans. And to me, that's quite beside the point. I mean, the, the problem is that there's a process here. Uh, it involves making sure that you give corroborated information, because, again, no one is represented in the FISA court. It's only the government and the judge. So if they don't follow the rules, there's really not a lot anybody can do uh, to stop them from being abusive. And if it now looks like they don't have a culture that demands that they follow the rules, that's a big, big problem. Annie, is it, is it fair to say, and if not, feel free to amend this however you would? Based on what we have seen in this release of a FISA warrant, it would be not hard to think of this process being abused in other, perhaps also very politically sensitive cases that we don't know anything about. Yeah, I think it's not only is that possible, Buck, although you, you, you hope that there are there are not a lot of political cases that they have used this in. I mean, we do have this gang of A process that the FBI uh, apparently bypassed in this instance, 
where they didn't notify Congress that they were, were doing it. Now, so far as we know, the Gang of Eight process works pretty well. So you would think that if, there were, if they were using this for political reasons, that Congress would have found out about that. Um, but, you know, I think... The, but if they could go around the Gang of Eight here, they could go around the Gang of Eight elsewhere, couldn't they? Yeah, you know... You know, Buck, it, you'll, you'll appreciate this because of your national security background. As, as I've told a couple of people talking about this, the thing that really strikes you when you work in national security where there really is a threat to the United States is that there's a lot of instances in national security work where the government has to be able to look people in the eye and say, you can trust us. Um, because all of this stuff has to be secret. There's no way that you can protect the country unless you can keep secrets. And what I really worry about is when you see stuff like this, the country asks, quite rightly, why should we trust you? Yeah, and I certainly put myself in that category now, and as you said, I come from a CIA background, so that tells people something. Andy McCarthy, everybody, of National Review. Also, look for him on Fox News. Andy, always a pleasure. Thanks so much, and come back soon. Thanks, Buck. All right, team, rolling in a quick one. We'll be right back. The president's approval rating is ticking up, not down. A brand new poll from NBC News and The Wall Street Journal conducted before and after the Helsinki summit shows the president approval rating at 45 percent. That is up one point from June. Among Republicans, that number is 88 percent, the highest of his entire presidency. I think that a lot of the outrage you see is in the Acela corridor, where we all, where we all live and work. And I mean, when you get outside of here, yes, people say, like, he's a knucklehead, or they, they'll say stuff like that. But by and large, you'll see people say, like, I understand that some of the things he's doing could hurt me personally, but we all have to make sacrifices. I do think he, he kind of has that. He defies political gravity. I was he does defy political gravity, but who told you after the whole Helsinki thing? Who told you that, uh, <laughs> that sure enough, all this, oh my gosh, Trump, it's the end of the world, oh my, was all going to fade away? I told you this. You know it. I mean, I'm not the only one, but I, I was saying it. They were acting like they, they, they haven't learned anything. They're acting like they finally got him, right? Now, now is when he's, oh, he's finally gone too far. They were saying that during the campaign, man. I mean, they don't, the left, the anti-Trumpers, they don't pay attention to any of this stuff. Forget about history. They don't remember recent events. Um, And, you know, they're not doing themselves any favors with how they go after Trump. In fact, I think that the harder they hit Trump on some of this stuff, the more that they've spent whatever credibility they have with their audiences because you know they they act like Helsinki was some huge disaster. Right? Oh my god, the worst thing ever. Anderson Cooper, that was just the most appalling thing. I mean, people were all upset about this, right? Oh my gosh, and Hillary, oh my gosh. Actually, no, we have Hillary. She hits she hit him over this one too. Play seven. Great mystery is why the president has wow. not spoken up for our country. And we saw that most clearly in this recent uh, meeting with Putin. We don't know what was said in uh, the room, or just the two of them. That's right, we don't know, so I'm going to make it up. I mean, Hillary is a great walking, talking advertisement for the Republicans going into the midterm. So I want more Hillary. The more Hillary, the better. Why? Because we know. What happened was the Russians meddled. We know Hillary. We've heard it a million times. 
Uh, but this notion that Trump doesn't speak up for America, there's so many ways that this is wrong, the media doesn't even figure this stuff out. Most of us, meaning normal Americans, don't look at James Comey and some senior intel, former intel officers, as America. And when he's talking about the intelligence agencies, we know he's talking about some Obama appointees at most at some of these agencies, right? That's not America. He speaks up for America all the time. And that's why his approval rating, by the way, is going up, folks. More coming up. Stay with me. Simply Safe is all about the details, which is exactly what you want in a home security system because you don't want to be anxious. You don't want to be worried, right? You just want the best possible system with no contracts, no nonsense. You want to know your home is safe and secure and that you've got the equivalent of eyes on no matter how far away you are. You can download the app. I've got the Simply Safe system myself. You can monitor everything from your smartphone. So whether you're at home or you're out and about, you can make sure that everything is fine on the home front. This is the best security system you can find on the market. There's no shenanigans with the folks who run it either. They're all about making sure that your customer service is excellent. There's no long-term contracts, and it's the best around-the-clock protection you're going to find anywhere. Protect your home today. Visit simplysafe.com slash buck. That's simplysafe.com slash buck. No long-term contracts. Set it up yourself. Unobtrusive system, folks, and it looks elegant. If you actually want to make it part of your decor, you can. Simplysafe.com slash buck. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. The president uh, has been very, very clear, again, since day one, what his objectives are. And he's certainly not going to tolerate the leader of Iran uh, making threats against Americans, making threats against this country, uh, making threats against Israel. This is a president uh, who is going to stand up and make sure he is doing what is necessary. He's showing peace through strength. Uh, but if, if needed and steps are required, this president is not afraid to take them. If President Trump didn't tweet what he did, no one would have been told in the United States what President Rouhani, the so-called moderate, tweeted when he threatened to close down the Straits of Hormuz, when he said mother of all wars. You know, that's the problem here. We're not told what Iran's belligerence is. We're not told as Americans the threats that they make regularly unless we engage. Donald Trump engaged, and I have no problem with that. I think Donald Trump should pursue his more aggressive tougher policies and let's see how it plays out and it doesn't cause me to worry just like it didn't in north korea that this means war is imminent i think the hand ringers might reach that conclusion but i think anybody looking at this realistically knows that's not where these tweets are heading if you want to engage at all whether it's with us directly or with other countries that there's a way to do it and we are not going to tolerate you talking about wiping the united states of america off of the map there's no there's no tolerance for it and there's a new sheriff in town these hypocritical holy men have devised all kinds of crooked schemes to become some of the wealthiest men on earth while their people suffer. The level of corruption and wealth among Iranian leaders shows that Iran is run by something that resembles the mafia more than a government. Iran, back in the headlines, finally, courtesy of the president himself. Welcome back to Buck Saxon Show, by the way. But there you heard from a whole bunch of, of different voices on this Iran issue. Let, let, let's dig into this for a moment, shall we? There, there are important things at stake here. Uh, for one, you had the president responding to some uh, nasty uh, belligerence 
from the Iranian regime, courtesy of Twitter, and Trump responded uh, with what you could call Tweet Con 1, perhaps. He went almost all caps on Twitter. He wrote, this was just earlier, to, or in the last 24 hours, to Iranian President Rouhani, now we're getting all caps territory, never, ever threaten the United States again, or you will suffer consequences the likes of which few throughout history have ever suffered before. We are no longer a country that will stand for your demented words of violence and death. Be cautious. Um, does anyone really, what is the problem with that? You know, I, I think to what our, our policy is supposed to have been, according to the, uh, the foreign policy smart set, such as they are, on Iran, and, and it's always that, you know, the military options on the table, military options on the table. Well, do you think that a regime that gets away with constantly threatening us, constantly threatening Israel, the worst kind of rhetoric, official rhetoric from the regime, and then on top of it is working against our interests in every capacity, supporting terrorist groups all over the Middle East, all over the world, and has the blood of U.S. soldiers on its hands just to sow chaos, just to be destructive and evil. I mean, the Iranians were uh, shuttling in as many EFPs into Iraq when we had large numbers of U.S. troops there as they could, explosively formed penetrators, a special kind of explosive device that would shoot through the holes of armored vehicles and maim and kill our soldiers inside. Iran was just doing that because they thought it was in their interest to bleed America in Iraq. We were trying to hold that country together. Iraq wanted to pull it apart. I mean, Iran wanted to pull it apart. So the Iranian regime is an evil regime. It is a despotic, uh, totalitarian, vicious regime. Why is it so crazy that Trump would speak about them in that way and let them know that they, that they should be put on notice that any of their activities that cross a line with us, there will be severe consequences? If the military option is, quote, on the table, isn't that what we're saying all along here? Now, there's another level of thought that I have in this. We need to do everything in our power not to have to go to war with Iran. Uh, I, 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 one thing that my generation, I think, has, has learned all too well is, whether it's Iraq or Afghanistan, we don't want to be in charge of other people's countries, and we don't want to be sending our best to go walk the streets of you know, foreign cities so that they can be subject to sniper fire and IEDs and all these things, and, and even have a large portion of the American population say, well, you know, we shouldn't even be there, and what are we doing there, and what's the point of this mission? Oh, but I support the troops, right? I mean, there's, well, we don't want to go through that, and we certainly don't want to go through that again with Iran. So I'm all for doing everything that we can to avoid military conflict with Iran. And I mean that not just in, in the kind of general, oh, yeah, I don't want to war with Iran. No, I really don't want to war with Iran. Um, because I would feel terrible in the position, just as an American, watching our men and women in uniform have to go over there and deal with whatever circumstance you know comes up. You know, we got our own things going on here. Isn't it nice? We're not starting any major wars right now. We're we're not on the precipice of another invasion. People forget you know, the Obama administration was basically party to an invasion of Libya, which somehow gets like written out of the history books. Oh, yeah, but it was mostly our other allies. Well, I mean, we were providing a lot of the air cover and we pushed that whole thing forward. We, we toppled the government in Libya or rather the Obama administration under 
Hillary's direction toppled the government in Libya and then just kind of walked away from the whole thing. Libya is in bad shape right now, by the way. But Trump takes the whole notion of standing up to Iran very seriously. And that's why with this tweet, you're seeing all this. Oh, my gosh, people are so upset about it. And they're saying, oh, no, this is just another uh, another version of what we saw with North Korea. They're judging the North Korea situation. You know what's fascinating about that? When was the last time North Korea fired off a missile? It's been a while, hasn't it? They were firing off missile after missile, which is really the most belligerent thing that they were doing, at least in terms of the international, you know, international security concerns. Firing off those missiles was something we were not going to be able to, uh, to ignore. I mean, if you lived in Japan or South Korea, you definitely wouldn't be able to ignore it. Never mind Hawaii. Uh, so looking at the success thus far of Trump's initiatives, or rather trying to gauge the success so far, is, 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 not, is not really possible. I think the president deserves the room, the leeway to see through his approach on these issues. And that's why when I see people say, oh, he's failing in North Korea. Now he's going to fail in Iran, too. Uh, the media totally skipped over the Israeli presentation on how Iran is just keeping a nuke off the shelf, getting richer, moving their, uh, you know, moving along their nuclear program and ready to go full nuclear as soon as the deal would sunset. And with nothing that the international community would really be able to do about it. Short of just, okay, well, I guess we're going to war with Iran to stop them from getting nukes. Think about how that would go over. And we want to avoid that at all costs. I mean, the, the Trump approach to these issues is to call out the bad actors, let them know that they have been put on notice, and that there will be real reprisals if they step out of line. I had... Uh, on the show today, here here at uh, at Rising, I had uh, General Jones, former National Security Advisor to Obama, and I will I give him credit. Look, he's the guy's a multi-decade Marine Corps veteran, you know, and I, and I do think that he's a he's a he's a good man who is serving his country, and you know, so put aside whatever your preconceived notions of uh, an Obama senior advisor, because right now it's pretty bad, right? You look at all the uh, you know, General Jones, I, you know, seemed from what I know of people who worked with him for a long time and also from what I saw today, uh, a, a, a sober voice on national security issues that isn't overly tainted by partisanship the way we've seen with Comey and McCabe and Brennan, and all these other people. And he, and, and he said, you know, the the failure to enforce the red line on Syria, this is not a partisan. This was Obama's national security advisor. This is not a partisan talking point. That was a disaster because it was the go signal to all the bad guys. Well, if they're not going to enforce that, if the president can say you gas women and children, we're going to light you up. And then they gas women and children and nothing really happens. All of the players in the region, Iran, uh, the Assad regime, the jihadists, ISIS, every everybody, right? The Gulf states, you name it. Anybody who's got any interest in what's going on, the Russians, obviously, in Syria, sees that and says, okay, well, now's the time to make a play for our piece of this and set it up how we want and try to pursue a reality in this country that best reflects our interests or the regime's interests, whatever it may be. Knowing that the only superpower that really could drop the hammer isn't going to do it 
I, I think that's really, uh, I think that, well, not just me, Obama's own national security advisor. Was, that was a huge mistake. That was a big problem. You can't do that. So, you know, people talk about Trump's rhetoric. They say it's so overheated. I have not seen him yet do anything that would give the bad guys a green light or make them think they have a green light to go at us or our interests without serious reprisals. I'll also note ISIS, jihadists, it's been real quiet for a while, hasn't it? I mean, I don't mean, look, I, I'm, I know that there was a shooting up in Canada. I think two people killed, 17 were hit. I'm not saying there's no terrorism, but I am saying that I remember in the latter part of the Obama administration, we had mask about once every month for a period of 12 to 18 months, a massive jihadist terror attack every month. You know, with with anywhere from you know 10 to 80 people killed every month. And not including what was going on in Iraq and Afghanistan. I mean, in countries that were ostensibly at peace. That ha- that That has just stopped. You know, our new normal with this president is not just a strong economy and you know, a favorable environment for business and growth and all of us to, you know, be be more prosperous and, and pursue our own happiness, which is those are all good things. But our new normal is also a president who I think all the bad guys know if they cross him. And that includes Putin for those. Who, oh, Putin he's in the Putin pocket. How, how has Putin uh, gotten aggressive with the Trump administration? You know, how, how has Putin slap Trump down on the world stage. I, I haven't seen it. They can say he's Putin's poodle all day, but I haven't seen it. And, and they don't give me any specifics. In fact, I get into all the policy that the administration has done, giving weapons to the Ukrainians, sanctions against hundreds of uh, Russian oligarchs. And I look at all the things they're doing, and all I see is where it counts, Trump flexing muscles in front of Russia and saying, you want a peace? Do you even lift, bro? Do you even lift? You know, that's, that's what's the reality of the situation. But on jihadists, on Russia, North Korean missiles, no more firing of them. When was the last time Russia invaded a country? Hasn't happened on Trump's watch, happened a bunch on Obama's watch. When was the last time that there was a massive ISIS-directed mass casualty terror attack? Hasn't happened on Trump's watch. So are we allowed to look at that and, and take the obvious conclusions away from it, that there's a new sheriff in town and things are different now? Because I think that's what we should do. And I think on Iran, Trump knows something that Obama and his team did not. And that is that the Iranians are bad guys. They're not looking for uh, just somebody to hear them out. They're not looking to find a, a situation that works for everyone. They are hardline ideologues who are devoted toward exporting the Iranian revolution, to his, which is a jihadist Islamist revolution, to as many countries as they can expanding their power all the way to the Mediterranean, using Hezbollah and Syria as proxies to get there, and bringing down America and destroying Israel. That's what, that's what the regime exists for. It doesn't exist to build the next Google, okay? It doesn't exist for constructive purposes. Trump knows that. His people know that. Obama's team didn't really get that, and that's how we got that horrific Iran deal and all of the lessons learned from the Obama administration that we're just now really beginning to get full clarity on because now that things aren't that way anymore, we can see what it means to have a president who takes a different approach. So far, so good. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. The, uh, this guy, Avenatti, is running around 
talking about the Trump tapes, the Trump tapes. Well, the administration has already said, you know what? Go ahead, have your tapes. I, I want to discuss this a little bit with you. We won't spend too much time on it. We've got other things we've got to, just, we've got to get into as well. Um, but these Avenatti tapes are, are getting some play today, and I want, to, I want to walk you through why, as I'm fond of saying, this is a, a nothing burger, medium rare with Gruyere. That rhymed. We'll be right back. You may have this problem, folks. A lot of people do. If you are a pet owner, I mean, I love dogs. And if you've got one at home, you might have to deal with the fact that when you're gone all day, then they get a lot of energy pent up. And so when you come home and let them out in the yard, they might start digging. And if you want to make sure that your pet can't escape under the fence, which then puts them at all kinds of risks and it ruins your day, dig defense is your solution. It's genius. It protects you by extending the protection of your fence underground. You install it at the base of any fence, and it'll protect you and your property, by the way, because, you know, predators can also get under the fence. You don't want that either. Stop the dig now with Dig Defense, available online at Lowe's, Tractor Supply, Menards, Wayfair, and StopTheDig.com. And now for the month of July, visit StopTheDig.com. Use promo code BUCK for 10% off. That's StopTheDig.com and use promo code BUCK for 10% off your whole order. StopTheDig.com, promo code B-U-C-K. Sunday night, uh, he tweeted, uh, and in all caps, to make the point that this is a real warning to the Iranians, you can see it right there. Uh, Be cautious. That's the end. We are no longer a country that will stand for your demented words of violence and death. How do you see it? Well, if anybody is issuing demented words of violence and death, I would say it's the president of the United States. I mean, it's it's quite a pass we've come to when the leadership of a country like Iran seems more stable and rational than the president of the United States. Yeah, there you go. There's a there's a so-called foreign policy expert who's also a former conservative or former Republican, however you want to say it, uh, who goes on air and favorably compares the Iranian leadership with our own president and and what's going on with this White House. If the anti-Trump resistance could just stop being so crazy they might have some chance of convincing some Americans of their position. But they can't help themselves. They go on TV and they make jackasses of themselves. They just say crazy stuff. Like that guy. Oh, yeah, that's right. The real problem here is our president. We're talking about Iran, but the real problem is our president. Hard not to feel like they're rooting for the other side. But they can't. Look, the, the anti-Trumpers, they can't help it. And you're seeing this now. And it really is. It's just unseemly. You got all these people who were former neocons in the Bush administration who have turned into just they look their turncoats to Republicans, to the GOP. They've gone over to the other side, maybe because they think that they've got better career prospects there. But at least that I could understand. I mean, that's not high minded stuff, but I could understand that. That was that was Max Boot, uh, who sounds like a crazy person when he talks about Trump. Really does. I mean, there's nothing that is beyond, there's nothing that he could say about Trump that I'd say, yeah, no, that's too far. He wouldn't do that. He he really takes the dial to 11. But you have all these kind of second and third tier GOP voices from back in the day. They're not coming out and they're getting all this airtime on MSNBC. And I just have to think, don't they feel kind of used? 
you know? And this is what I say, and I look, I've, I put my money where my mouth is on this one. I walked away from CNN. They offered to extend my time there as a conservative political commentator, and I said, I'm out. I can't, I'm not, I, th- I thought this place might be something. But it, it, to, in my defense, it got crazier while I was there. I, I couldn't handle it, because with the Trump thing, they've really, that really set them off, right? That triggered them in a way that I couldn't have anticipated. But I walked away, and I'm a guy who, I'll be honest with you, I could have used the money to pay some bills. It wasn't like it was, you know, I'm, I'm not Scrooge McDuck swimming around in a giant vault of gold coins over here. So, but I walked away from them because I just couldn't do it anymore because it just was, it didn't feel right. I didn't want to do, I didn't want to be a part of it. And that's, by the way, why some folks at CNN hate me so much now because they know that they actually wanted to keep me because I was good. And I left because I didn't want to be a part of it anymore. So I say this with, with that background, all these former conservatives and former GOP people that I see that are going on MSNBC and now CNN and just trashing Trump constantly, I find it unseemly. I find it unhelpful. And honestly, I find it pretty pathetic. Because guess what? Whether it's Morning Joe or Maddow, they're not your friends, former GOPers. They're just using you. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. You've seen a progression over the last few weeks. Michael Cohn trying to paint himself as a patriot, as a guy that loves his country. But I think he's trying to have it both ways. I think he's still holding out hope, Chris, that Donald Trump is going to appear in the middle of this dark forest and lead him out to salvation. And if there's one thing we know about this president, it is that he has loyalty for no one or to no one. There's Michael Avenatti. If there's one thing we know about him, it's that he's a jerk and makes ambulance chasers look ethical and humanitarian by comparison. The porn lawyer, Avenatti, running around on the TV getting and treated with so much deference. I mean, I'm just waiting for I'm just waiting for Anderson Cooper or Jake Tapper to have him on to wax philosophical about the latest Supreme Court decision. Whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on. We just had a major SCOTUS ruling here. We need to hear from Michael Avenatti, usually specializes in representing porn stars and going on TV to smear the president of the United States. But now let's hear what he has to say about the Voting Rights Act. Over to you, Michael. Just a matter of time. Anyone who can be used for the purposes of tearing down this president is for the left inherently useful, and they will ignore all else about that person in the meantime. Anything uh, that that person has done or said in the past that would make them a less than uh, trustworthy eyewitness or would make them a less than ideal voice on this issue. And you would have a, a situation where they will ignore this. They will find a way to ignore this. Um, here's what's at the center of all this right now. They've got these tapes that Cohen has apparently given. This is the main headline in Drudge. So look, it's not just, I'm going to be fair, it's not just the anti-Trump networks that are covering this. It's pretty shocking when you think about it. And uh, when, when you can't, tra- hey, hey, when you can't trust your consigliere, who can you trust? You know what I mean? Hey, bada bing. 
uh, I, I don't know. You know, in this day and age, when your fixer is videotaping your private conversations, I, I, I feel like nothing is sacred anymore. But they've got these 12 audio recordings that were seized from uh, Donald Trump's one-time attorney, Michael Cohen, according to Reuters here, turned over to federal prosecutors on Friday. And this is according to court documents. So this is real. This is, this is a real thing. And it includes conversations uh, such as one that Cohen and Trump had two months before the November 2016 election, in which they, quote, discussed buying the rights to a story by a woman who said she had an affair with Trump, according to Rudy Giuliani. Uh, Now, I've got some thoughts on this one. For one, like I said, Cohen is, is... It is somewhat remarkable that you have a lawyer here who's making... I mean, imagine if you found out that, like, you're your personal physician was videotaping all of your conversations with him. This strikes me as highly unethical. I I know that they've waived the attorney-client privilege here. The White House has already said, yeah, sure, there's no attorney-client privilege. But this is a bizarre situation. And that the White House has waived it, though, and that Trump isn't worried about what's on these recordings just goes to show you that he doesn't feel like he has anything to hide. That this is a national news story also shows you that you know, anything they can do to come up with something that will jam up Trump. They're going to move off. They're going to move away from Russia collusion and on to, you know, Stormy Gate and and, you know, Avenatti and all this other stuff as though all the Russia collusion stuff never happened. I, I guarantee you that's going to be the move here. They're just going to. Yep. All right. We did that. You know, slash and burn media. Everything there is destroyed. Let's just move on to the next village. That's the purpose here. Although, in this case, not everything's destroyed because Trump has withstood what would be for any other politician, any other person I could think of, just a withering assault from all sides by people who are completely dishonest and and unscrupulous in all of their dealings when it comes to taking down this president. They don't care what they have to say or what they have to do. They will do it. You know, they'll, they'll leak classified stuff, as we've discussed. They'll say things that aren't true. Well, that's just the tip of the iceberg. But I, I see this as uh, I see this as a sign that this, they're they're going to run out of room on the Stormy Daniels story here. They're they're going to run out of the ability to continue to stretch this out ad infinitum. And and then what will they have? I, I don't know what what they're even going to do. What are they going to cover over at CNN? Oh my gosh, it's crazy! It's absolutely crazy. Um, they've also got uh, the, the beginning of the trial this week. Speaking of the legal situation. Uh, with Paul Manafort. And I know Tucker broke the story. And yes, true, on Gutfeld show, they were comparing my hair to Tucker's hair. It happens. We'll discuss that more later. We're going to have a hair off later in the show. Between Gutfeld, not between Gutfeld and Sexton, between Tucker and Sexton. Tucker and Buck. Uh, but that'll come later. I had fun, though. It's always great. Gutfeld, I always appreciate this. And I never forget these things. Gutfeld was the first person to ever put me on cable TV. First person, first host who ever said, you know what, I'm going to have this guy on. Never, I'd, something I've never forgotten. Um, but anyway, so Manafort, Tucker broke the story last week that Manafort has Podesta possibly flipping on him. There's been a witness list today for tax evasion. This is the highest profile tax evasion case I could think of. I mean, you've got the special counsel looking into allegedly overturning an election. And really what's going on here is They've got a guy for tax evasion and a few other low-level people for lying about non-crimes. Oh, and, and a bunch of race, uh, uh, Russian Facebook accounts 
that have been used to fool people and sharing some fake news, and there's indictments that will never actually be prosecuted in, in any way in any court. That's what this whole thing boils down to. What a, what a, what a sick joke by these police state clowns, um, and and what a, what a, a a sad, a sad swan song for the deep state, which is what we're seeing happen right here. Uh, but I, I want to give you an upside here. I want to talk about some happy, important things. I spoke to Mister Wonderful from Shark Tank today about Trump and about how the economy is doing. I want to share with you some of the insights from that. Here's a short version. Mr. Wonderful, who is you know the, the central guy on Shark Tank, he says that Trump is doing an amazing job on the economy. After many years of decline, American manufacturing is coming back bigger and better and stronger than ever before. It's happening. We're in the midst of a great economic revival in the United States. We've added 3.7 million new jobs since the election, including more than 370,000 in manufacturing alone. Remember, during the campaign, they all said, oh, you're never going to add manufacturing jobs. That's obsolete, they would say. I said, it's obsolete to make things is obsolete. I guess they were wrong, right? I guess they were wrong. We're adding a lot more. Almost a million workers discouraged by the policies of the previous administration and, frankly, other administrations have now returned to the workforce. New unemployment claims are at the lowest level in almost half a century. Think of that. The lowest level unemployment claims. That's a big one. The economy's doing really well, folks. I like to just take a moment to remind us all of that because the media doesn't want to. Trump is setting records and not records compared to Obama, although he's certainly doing that records all time records since we've been keeping statistics on these things. When it comes to unemployment, you know, we we are in a period now where you have so much that is so much in terms of wind at the back of the economy that we don't even know what the future holds. I mean, people would usually think that there's a big recession coming, that cyclic uh, there's a cyclical nature to these things and. But even those who are bears in the market, so to speak, those who believe that it's only a matter of time before we have reversal, they're like, not not right now, not with what Trump's got going on here. You know, I, I had the, uh, the chance to sit down and speak to uh, Mr. Wonderful, who some of you, I'm sure, will know from Shark Tank, which is a great show. I, I really like that show. I, I can binge watch Shark Tank and have, I will tell you, binge watched uh, Shark Tank in the past. And we, we had a, a good chat on and off air. And you can see tomorrow at, at hill.tv slash rising the whole interview I did with him. Um, it'll air tomorrow. Uh, but we had this whole sit down. And here's a guy who is thought of as kind of the Simon Cowell, you know, from American Idol. You know, Simon, you're like the worst. Uh, my Simon impression is terrible. But he's the guy who's supposed to be the, the one who's the, you know, the rain on the parade of some of these people. But I just think he's he's being honest with him most of the time. And he's actually a really nice, really low-key, and very, very smart guy. And I was asking about the Trump economy, and he's like, look, I'm not about, I don't care about any of the peripheral stuff. You're asking me about the economy. You're asking me about, this is Mr. Wonderful. You're asking me about the economy. You're asking me about markets and entrepreneurship and businesses. And he went on to just sing hosannas about what Trump is doing for the economy. 
He says that the pullback in regulations, he sees it all the time. He, he says people that don't live in, you know, the Acela corridor and, and, and in California, essentially, you know, in, and he named a bunch of different states across the country where he invests in businesses, is working with businesses. They just think that this whole Trump situation is fantastic because they don't have the government messing up their day to day, messing up their businesses, hurting their bottom line and making it harder for them to employ people who can pay their bills and you know take care of their families and be productive and, and be engaged in their work. Government shouldn't be in the way. And with Trump, government is in the way less. And I just feel like you're not hearing it. You're in all this Russia garbage, all this Stormy Daniels nonsense. You know, it's so unfair, not just to the administration, but to the American people who should know what's going on, because we should be looking at this as a lessons learned. Trump versus Obama on the economy is a lessons learned. The short version is commerce is good. Private property is good. Business and dynamism. Good. You know, I just I just look at all this stuff and I, and I see how dishonest they're being with this coverage. And I see that, oh, don't even, I didn't even mention this, on trade, I asked, and I, I thought, okay, look, he's, he likes Mr. Wonderful, likes Trump on regulation, likes Trump on the tax cut, which I would note, very important point, hasn't even really given us the full, you know, the, 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 full, imp, you know, the, the full benefit, right? We haven't even felt the full benefit of the tax cuts yet. So that's still kind of waiting. All this cash is going to flow into the economy and the businesses, all these good things that will happen that you will feel the effect of. You know, your city, your town, wherever you are, you will feel the benefits of this. And, and, and then I said, all right, well, you know, okay, Mr. Wonderful, you're giving me a lot of happy stuff here about Trump, all of which I agree with, but that's, you know, I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to push him a little bit for, you know, a, a, a little bit uh, outside the, the zone of, you know, Trump is, is doing a phenomenal job just to see if I could. And I brought up trade and everything else going on. By the way, here, here's what Trump says about China and Mexico and NAFTA. This is his most recent comments on it. Play 21. We're talking to China, who had a $375 billion trade sur surplus last year with the United States. They were $375 billion, or looking at it differently, we had a $375 billion trade deficit. That's not good. And we're talking to China very seriously. We're talking to Mexico on NAFTA. And I think we're going to have something worked out. The new president, terrific person. I spoke to him at length on a call. Did a great job. Got a tremendous vote. And they have a lot of confidence in him in Mexico, and that's good. But we're talking to them about doing something very dramatic, very positive for both countries. We're Demanding fairness with the World Trade Organization. It's been a disaster for the United States, and we want fairness. There's nothing that Trump is saying there that strikes me as unreasonable, that strikes me as unwise or unsound. But you, you have all this conventional wisdom, all this groupthink out there about free trade, free trade, free trade. I'm for free trade, too. This is like saying you're for free markets. If I said to you, I'm for free markets, and you said, well, Buck, you know, I, I think that we should have we should look at some of the government regulations that are in place right now and and pull them back. And you said, no, 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 no don't do that. I'm you're for I'm for free markets. That's a very close analogy to what we're dealing with here, because we don't have perfectly free markets. We have all kinds of regulations and agreements and 
encumbrances and hindrances and all kinds of stuff going on, right? You don't have a perfectly free market. So to just repeat that, free market, free market doesn't do anything. Free trade, same thing. Yeah, as a principle, I'm for free trade, but we don't live in a free trade world right now, folks. And I've been saying this to you, and you'll notice the, con- the, the, the conventional wisdom is shifting on this. Oh, all of a sudden people go, yeah, I guess you're right, I guess you're right. Even I've seen the think tank set say, okay, well, you know, there are trade tariffs, and there are probably, you know, oh, wow. And I, I, I posed this to Mr. Wonderful today. He was a you know, guy's worth, I don't know, hundreds of millions of dollars, maybe a billion dollars now, I don't even know. Very, very wealthy guy. And self-made and, and a, you know, a very successful businessman, goes without saying, and a great TV host. And look, I, I think that Shark Tank is, I think it really gives the American people a, a little bit of, a, of an education about business, one that a lot of us don't get an exposure to. How do you value business? You know, what, what, are your, what is your P.E. ratio? You know, what's on your balance sheet? Who are your original investors? It, it, works you, it works you through a lot of that stuff in a way that I think is, is instructive. I, I really believe that. So I think it's doing a service as well as building all kinds of great companies. People have become rich because of their Shark Tank appearance. And they've had great companies. They've employed a lot of people. But I asked Mr. Wonderful about this one. And I'm thinking, here's a guy who, thinking about running for prime minister in Canada, you know, he's, he's, very, you know, he's, he's a very connected dude. And he's doing these finance seminars and all this other stuff right now out there. And I'm thinking he's probably going to take the conventional wisdom approach. And you know what he said? He said Trump is absolutely right on trade. I mean, not with those words, but that was what he was saying. He said, we, 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 don't, we don't need to live in a world where China, he says, as an investor, if everybody had the same tariffs, that'd be great because that would create predictability and it would create efficiency in markets. You see, if we all have a 10% tariff on automobiles, the automobile market becomes a whole lot more efficient, doesn't it? Oh. Why should we allow some distortions into that market because of the political needs of one country or another? Or because of the predatory economic activities of, in particular, China, uh, but other, other countries as well? When you apply logic and reason to trump's trade policy it all of a sudden makes a lot more sense and when you ask somebody like mr wonderful who's not a super political guy but a guy who knows business and knows markets and finance all he has to say about trump is that they're doing a phenomenal job and they should keep doing what they're doing are you hearing that from anybody about the economy right now are you seeing any news stories on that no it's all fisa and russia and just you know it's the news media trying to assert itself and assert its power and have a a, a moment of a, just a just a, a tantrum every day, all day on air, and it's really to the detriment of the country. Uh, we we got to talk about the socialists. Speaking about the detriment of the country, Democrat socialists. That's what the Democrats are counting on going to the midterms. That this message will catch on at some places at least. We'll discuss that and more. Stay with me. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. I honestly happen to believe that if we understand that four years ago in the midterm election, we had the lowest voter turnout in 70 years, that all over this country, working people, lower income people, young people are discouraged about the political process. And I think we have got to give them a message which says, we hear your pain. 
We understand you're working two or three jobs. You can't make it on 10 bucks an hour. You have no health care. You can't afford child care. You can't afford a decent retirement. And I think when we speak to the needs of working families, people are going to come out and vote. And if we can significantly increase the voter turnout, I think Democrats are going to do extremely well, take back the House and take back the Senate and do well all over the country. You know, I think that in this moment, there's a confluence of factors that makes this moment inspiring. Right now, more women than ever are running for office, and I do think that women want representation in Congress, absolutely. Congress right now is 80% male, and that creates blind spots in our legislation. It means we don't have family leave. We don't have paid maternal and parental leave. Mm -hmm. It means that we don't get the equal pay that we want. So I think those issues certainly were important. Well, there you have a preview of what you can expect, at least from the national-level media, about the Democrats going to the midterms. Class warfare, courtesy of Bernie Sanders, and identity politics, courtesy of Ocasio-Cortez. Now, Sanders' comments first. Let's, let's, let's deal with them first, shall we? Sanders is the most popular Democrat in the country right now. It's up Sanders and Biden, which, what does that say? You know, isn't it isn't it amazing that Democrats are the party of the young, the hip and the cool? And yet the politicians the Democrat Party puts forward are, you know, the the aged, the uh, the slow and the time to retire. (laughs) That's this is what you see. I mean, their most prominent voices. What about me? I mean, you know, Hillary's still running around there, but their most prominent voices are. Uh, not what you would expect from the party that has a total lock on Hollywood, on 80 to 90 per, 90% plus of journalists and the, and the mainstream media with it, uh, of college campuses. You know, you'd think that they would have some spokespersons at the national level who would be not, you know, ready to think about doing other things with their lives uh, other than being politicians, but that's not really what you get from them. And then you're going to say, well, Buck, what about Ocasio-Cortez? We'll see how far this one goes. We'll see if she is ready for prime time. Um, but I, I just think it's interesting that she hasn't even, look, she hasn't even won an election yet, folks. <laughs> Everyone's talking about her, like, oh, she's the new, she's the new, uh, you know, future of the Democratic Party. It's like, okay, well, maybe. I think, look, it's 90, 98% certain or whatever that she's going to win that congressional seat. But we got to wait until she's actually in office before we can talk about how she's running the country, right? Uh not that she's going to be running the country even when she's in office. But Bernie Sanders, that was such a classic. This is a classic Democrat trope where it's, you know, if, if, if we only be a bigger voter turnout, we'd win. You know, the voters would come, look at the more numbers, you know, people are with us. This is, this is a variation, and it's interesting because Sanders is the Democrat socialist, a variation on, you know, communism has never been implemented right. You know, the problem with socialism is not socialism, it's... The times it's it's every time people have tried socialism. These are all variations on a theme, right? It's a ready made excuse. How do you get around that excuse? How do you come up with an alternative to that? They're telling you that uh, it's just a question of getting it right. And with Sanders here, it's just a question of getting the turnout. Well, isn't that what every election is, though? When you think about this, it's meaningless. What he's saying is. If more people came out and voted for us, we would win the election. Yeah. Good job, Bernie. We know. But they didn't, and so you didn't. 
And to say, but you see, it's a built-in excuse. Well, it's just because the voter turnout was low. Well, why was it low? Oh, it's because of apathy. It's not because of the messaging of the Democrats who are are running around with some very interesting things uh, on their platform these days. You know, prominent issues. If you are a progressive in in good standing with the left, you know, you have to get behind things that I, I think would be for for normal people uh, a bit of an issue. Here's an NBC story that caught my eye today, for example. Julia and Nate Sharp are raising their three-year-old twins using the pronoun they, them, and their to shield them from gender stereotypes. This is a new parenting technique called babies. I'm not making this up. This is NBC News. And now you might say, Buck, NBC News makes things up. Yeah, but not this, right? This is They're not giving you fake news. They're presenting you with what they think is a is an inspiring story. So now, and, and in a sense, this is a perfect encapsulation of contemporary liberalism in an effort to avoid, quote, confusion about gender and gender stereotypes. We have parents who are teaching their three-year-olds to be confused about their gender. This is part of the, the left. You know, they, they complain so much about Trump and they talk about, oh, he lies, he lies. The left has been waging a a foundational war on truth for longer than my adult life. I mean, for almost 100 years now. What we can think of as the American left. I mean, in the post-World War II era, we just look at it that way, the left has been waging a war on the truth. That there is no objective truth, there's no universal truth, there's just power and narrative construction and whoever can win the argument at any point in time, including by changing the language or threatening the other side unless they agree with your side, with force. That's how the left wins arguments. That's how the left gets its way. And, I mean, in this thing with with Thabies, by the way, do you you think that Ocasio-Cortez or Bernie Sanders will be asked, hey, you know, you're really big in the LGBTQ uh, you're big on the LGBTQ movement. Um, what do you think about uh, other transgender-related issues like parenting that involves calling your three-year-old a, a a plural noun so as not to confuse your child about something that there should be no confusion about, which is boy or girl? You know, What do you think, Ocasio-Cortez, about Thabies? And we won't. We won't hear much about it, will we? We will not hear the left have to address this uh, because it would be an because because if the American people find out what progressives really think, they won't we won't vote for them. And you're you're already starting to see this pivot with some of these uh, some of the Democrats. You know, I saw it with um, we had uh, uh, former Congressman Israel, right? He was the one of the chief Democrat strategists. Had him on on Rising last week, and he just said, you know, every election is every election is local, basically. Yeah, no, we know. We know every election is local. We, we know that that's the, the way the Democrats want to run this. But we know the Democrat Party is not local. It's a national level political organization that has been pulled far left. I mean, they are in another stratosphere. And, and normal people can't look at what they do and say and believe and come away with the belief that the Democratic Party is representative of normal people. This is pretty straightforward. This is why... You know, you have this poll that that gets them so upset about how Trump is doing well, even though, you know, they said that Helsinki was the mother of all press conference bombs or whatever. I mean, even though they were acting like it was the worst thing to ever happen, people look around, they say, well, what exactly so bad about it?
show me the bad show me the bad result from Helsinki that that is a thing that happened not that's a word that someone said nothing and then as I was saying to you we you look at the data you look at all of the different metrics that can be used to measure the success and growth and happiness of an economy and Trump's doing a great job so look at the disconnect between the reality of Trump doing a great job and Trump's most ardent critics who say he's doing a terrible job, but then it's also it, it, no, the solution is always vote Democrat. They never tell you really how or why. Just vote Democrat. I mean, the solution to the Russia collusion delusion is vote Democrat. Well, why, why is that? You know, they, they don't know how to stop Russia from meddling in elections. Obama basically decided not to stop Russia from meddling in the elections. Uh, they, well, what's the answer? Yeah, vote Democrat. We'll figure out the details later. Just vote Democrat. This is this is the propagandistic intent of the Democrat aligned media. The the repetition of actions not based in reason and and persuasion, but just do this, do this, do this, do this, trying to get into your brain. Vote for Democrats. That's why Bernie Sanders says uh, you know, it's a turnout issue. And he had Ocasio Cortez jump in there too. And saying that this is, you know, we need more women, and that will really change the game for us. And I just sit around and say, yeah, identity politics. Identity politics are toxic. And the Democrats have won with them in the short term. But over the long term, I do believe the American people will increasingly reject identity politics because it does not bring the benefits promised to anyone, and it just turns us against each other and creates divisions where there's no need for them. Instead of focusing on solutions for Americans, they focus on how to divvy up different Americans and turn them against each other. That's not helpful. That's not helpful. Um, anyway, we've, we've got uh, much more to talk. Obama and climate change. I've got some thoughts on this because they are unserious on national security and climate change tells us why. Stay with me for that. One thing I know for sure, I know this audience, and you're not a bunch of Euro wannabe latte drinkers. You're all American, baby, so why not drink the best you can get when it comes to coffee and a company that's all about patriotism, America, and supporting veterans? That's Black Rifle Coffee, all right? They don't do any of the weak sauce, JV, frou-frou coffee that you see all over the place now. Not some big, faceless corporation. This is a company founded by and run by veterans of the United States military, including special operations veterans, who are all about making delicious coffee. I drink Black Rifle every day. I have stacks on stacks of K-Caps uh, by my desk, and that's what I'm drinking. you got to try it for yourself. I want every person right now listening to the Buck Sexton Show to make Black Rifle Coffee their coffee of choice. Visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Buck. Receive 15% off your order. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Buck for 15% off. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Buck. Here at the Academy, climate change. Understanding the science and the consequences is part of the curriculum, and rightly so, because it will affect everything that you do in your careers. So I'm here today to say that climate change constitutes a serious threat to global security, an immediate risk to our national security. And make no mistake, it will impact how our military defends our country. And so we need to act, and we need to act now. Climate change, and especially rising seas, is a threat to our homeland security. 
our economic structure, uh, infrastructure, the safety and health of the American people. You know, why am I playing an old clip of Obama, you may be asking? You know, what is it about the uh, the Obama administration at this point that we can still learn from? Or And, and here's what I want to tell you about. You, you've got this Gallup poll from the beginning of this month, right? But it's, it's, a, it's a big poll, a thousand adults. You know, this is, as polling goes, supposed to matter. Okay, Gallup is trusted and supposed to matter. And they asked about the biggest problems. And I, I mentioned some parts of this poll to you before, but you know what's really stark, what's really amazing to me, is that of the, uh, of the 37 issues that were on here, I'm sorry, 36 different answers, you didn't get climate change anywhere near the top. 2%, 2% of those polled even mentioned the environment. Climate change doesn't make the top 36 issues of concern to the American people. Now, that, that audio, that was from the second uh, term of the Obama administration where he was giving a speech to the Coast Guard Academy and citing climate change as an urgent national security threat. He's t- folks, he was talking about rising seas to people who were on boats most of the time. I think they'll be okay. But more importantly, you had the previous commander-in-chief acting like this is something that we have to focus on and have to talk about, and Democrats are obsessed with this issue. And what they never stop and think about is that Americans, normal Americans, who aren't part of the media elite, who aren't you know billionaires who want some kind of environmentalist legacy, do not give a crap about climate change. It's not in, I mean, it's almost. Can you think of forty things off the top of your head that the government is involved in, or that it's a major, major policy issue that you really care about? I do this all day for a living, hours and hours of radio and TV, and uh, I'd have to really, I'd have to really write out forty things or thirty-six things to be specific. You know, the first ten I'd rattle off pretty quickly. The first twenty I'd get to without much issue. The you know twenty through thirty I'd have to think about a little bit. And once we're getting beyond thirty, like I'm not saying I can't think of things, but I'm not thinking of things that I particularly care about. And the fact that climate change doesn't even make this Gallup poll. I bring this up just to illustrate how there, you know, there's all this stuff now about Obama and national security. And he was he was this, you know, this sage, wise president on national security issues, whereas Trump on the world stage. And this is a complete rewriting of history. Democrats on national security are simply unserious. Okay, they are simply unserious. Uh, President Obama's defenders would no doubt point. They'd say, the, look at the bin Laden raid. And as somebody who, as I mentioned before, was a CIA analyst, I can tell you that the bin Laden raid was a long time in coming, and they took their sweet time in the Obama administration to order the raid. And it very well could have been some, an opportunity that they missed because they were so slow because they wanted to make absolutely certain uh, before they went in. Um, but... A cross-border raid into Pakistan, as daring as it was in the in the context of the uh, Osama bin Laden raid, you know, this is something that our elite special forces, uh, I don't know, people use that term, you know, special operators, I should say, special forces, military, and, you know, Green Berets, then you get Navy SEALs, you get Delta Force, you get Army PJs, you know, right, there's all these different special operators, you know, Marine Recon, uh, but, you know, our elite forces can pull off those kinds of missions. We, we know that. 
Anyway, that's I'm I'm going down a separate track there. What I'm trying to say is that the Democrats are still and were under Obama unserious people when it came to national security. You cannot look me in the eye. You cannot make a you you cannot make me take you seriously if you think that that climate change is an urgent national security threat to talk about in front of a a service uh, at, at a service academy like the Coast Guard. Nope. I will not take that seriously. I will not hear about that in earnest from people who then expect me to listen to their thoughts on how to deal with jihadists in Syria or you know Russian intrusions into neighboring states or any number of things that you know North Korean missiles or Chinese cyber hacking. Right? These are problems for serious people, and the Obama administration, the Democrats were were, were completely unserious. And I just think that's important context as we get into these. Back and forth, these these debates over, you know, what, what what is Trump doing? And you see all these people showing up in the media. Oh, I was a such and such for Obama. And I just think, what success do you really have? What success can you point to and say, see, that foreign policy initiative or that national security initiative was a huge success. I named the only one, which was the Bin Laden raid. That was it in eight years. And I will I will say that the rise of ISIS came after bin Laden was killed. So while that was a necessary psychological catharsis for us, for me as a New Yorker, and you know we could talk about all the stories that we all share from what it was like on 9-11 another time, but that wasn't a global game changer. It just wasn't. Um, and that's the only thing the Obama team can point to on this. Other than that, you get a lot of speeches about nonsense, a lot of claptrap on climate change, just... Utterly and completely feckless. It's a really good word to remember when you're talking about how the Democrats treat national security issues. Uh, I was just thinking about this because in this Gallup poll, man, I mean, you see the stuff that's in there. Uh, you know, you look at this and you're like, well, that's a, that's basically everything you can think of is ahead of climate change. That's the way to think about it. everything that you can think of off the top of your head is more important to the American people than climate change. And Democrats wonder why their party is other than the media and the academy. Uh, essentially out of power that's why because they don't care about what americans care about they might want to change that before the midterms uh, i want to talk to you about uh, i had a little bit of a, an experience moving where i'm in the process of moving still so this is a little slice o buck slice of life that i want to tell you about um, and then we will get into some roll call please do download my podcast uh the freedom hut podcast we had jedediah bila on last week it was a lot of fun it was a fun show it was a good show chat about it it's only it's less than 30 minutes long folks so it's a really easy quick listen so please check out that podcast let me know your thoughts when you can we'll be right back he's holding the line for america buck sexton is back You know, team, I found something out about myself over the weekend. Something that was a little surprising. I, I'm, a, I'm apparently a stealth hoarder. I didn't really know that. But because if you spent time in my apartment, you know, in my, in my home, you would think, oh, well, this guy, he's, he's pretty squared away. I, I'm pretty neat and orderly. Believe it or not, I, I keep a tidy home. Uh, well, or Miss Molly makes me keep a tidy home. But you get the idea, right? I, I'm, I'm all about keeping stuff away. Uh, but I'll just say that I found... So much, because I was packing up for my move to D.C. I found so much stuff. 
I mean, it's remarkable when you actually get down into it. I'm telling you, I'm like one of these people that I'm, I'm like, when did I when did I even get this? I'm not going to lie to you. I had behind our couch the pieces of what is essentially a, a an exercise equipment thing where you can kind of do back bends to build lower back strength. Actually, a very good exercise. I never used this thing. I don't even remember buying this thing. And I'm somebody who'd sit around and make it jokes. Oh yeah, late night infomercial exercise equipment. That's really that's really gonna that's really gonna make you strong. Yeah, good luck with that. And apparently, I was thinking like, uh, I want a six pack too. I'm gonna buy this thing, and I just did. You know, man, I, I was looking around. I I was finding stuff. I was like, when did I even get this? Or how? And I knew it was my stuff too. Molly, you know, she's just clothing and and kitchenware. She doesn't really mess with anything else. I'm talking about just the things that you find stuffed away in drawers closets and underneath things it was amazing i mean i could open some kind of like weird museum of collectibles that nobody wants of just things that i've acquired over the years people giving me different not not i'm not talking about military challenge coins but like little keepsake coins from their organization or their company i had no idea who's giving me this thing i I had a i had an entire uh a a gun-shaped bottle opener that somebody must have pressed into my hand at some point and it had a company written on it. I won't say what it was because I probably, you know, the CEO is probably the one I'm, who I met. Uh, I was like, when did I, when did I get this? And then I started think, am I just getting old and forgetting things? I man, I don't know what it is, you know, because I've been living down in D.C. with just a, a mattress on the ground and a card table from Walmart. About a is a I think it was less than twenty bucks, and a folding chair and a mattress on the ground. And you know what? And, and Wi-Fi. I'm like, I'm, you know, come on. I'm not roughing it that much, right? I'm not a, I'm not a barbarian here. But I'm, I'm sitting around. I'm like, you know, this this pretty much, as long as you got the food you need, and you've got a card table and a mattress, you know, it's it's been very, it's felt very zen. I gotta say, the whole the whole vibe in in Buck Central down here in D.C. Buckingham Palace, if you will, has been that stuff is clutter. Stuff does weigh you down. And I start to feel like the character that, uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy um, from Up in the Air, I can't remember. George Clooney. I start to feel a little bit like George Clooney when he has that whole segment. I guess it's not a segment. Speech in the movie Up in the Air where he says, that you know, this is your backpack and stuff and it weighs you down. Yeah, that guy's a weirdo who clearly has no normal human attachments and the movie's pretty depressing overall. Uh, but... But it is true that you know you start acquiring all these things you don't need, and once you start to shed them, I don't know. There's a certain clarity to it. And also, one other thing is I'm giving away all kinds of stuff, and I've got stuff that, you know, I feel. Here's here's the thing, folks. I don't know where this rule came up, but I've got things unopened. Okay, gifts that people have given me for my birthday or for Christmas. You know, it's still in the still in the box, untouched things that you know I just know I'm not really going to use. And I keep them, and I would feel bad re-gifting them as a gift, but I'm giving them away to people randomly, and it feels great. But why can't I re-gift? You know, I know this is a Seinfeld thing, stretching back in the day, but if it's still in the original packaging, and someone gave it to me as a gift, I feel like it should be a nice enough gift to give it to somebody else, as long as it's not the same person who gave you the initial gift, right? John, what do you think? Can you give me a ruling on this one? Are are you is regifting acceptable? Oh, you can regift. It's like uh, being a nice guy. If you're not going to use it, someone else should utilize it. Right? I mean, I've given, I've given away all kinds of 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 gear and stuff over the years. You know, I've I've 
trying to think of some of my my greatest hits. Um, but you know, yeah, I, I I'm regifting things left and right. I, I got all kinds of you know all, all kinds of stacks of presents that I, I've just never really ripped into. Not that I get that many presents, but it is what it is. And just you know, anything I get from Team Buck World, that I keep that in my my main area, um, in my man area, the the place where I do research. Producer Mike, for for heaven's sake, I mean like the you know my my man cave zone uh that's where i keep all the all the stuff that's team buck related radio related all that so i'm not talking about any of that i'm talking about stuff that i found like under my couch it was like an exploration like jurassic buck and i was going digging deep into the uh into the mud trying to find some some treasure that would be timeless and you know you just realize you 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 acquire all these things you don't even know and i'm just not good at throwing things out that's really what this whole thing comes down to i don't like to throw things out i mean i'll have an old pair of socks that has like not one but two sizable holes in them and i'll be like well i mean maybe one day i'm gonna need socks with a couple holes in them i mean I, you know it happened you know what if i'm doing a sock puppet show i need socks with holes in them obviously it looks more authentic you know i, I convince myself of these things i right, miss molly's been great I, i'm giving away all kinds of clothing to uh, uh well there's actually a church that takes clothing donations uh and I, you know and it's just it's good. It's it's cleansing. That's the one. But other than that, moving is the worst. I will say that. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how many of you have gone through it recently. Because I'm a an urban dweller and have been my whole life. Um, I I've dealt with moving so many times. I I can't even off the top of my head. I couldn't even tell you all the residences I've had over the last ten years. There, I think there's been almost ten. I mean, I've moved almost every single year, uh, and I move all over the place. And every time you move, you just realize this is just, you know, it's like you're dealing with a union boss who has all of your stuff, literally all of your stuff in the back of a truck. And it's like, you're going to pay the extra hours fee here or not? And you're like, I'll pay anything. I just want my stuff. Whatever you say, sir. Yes, sir. Take a three hour lunch. Just please come back with all my stuff. Whatever it is, you know, movers, man, they've they've got you on lockdown. Uh, So, you know things we've got a lot of them and we don't need i'm sure a lot of people listening to this don't need nearly as much stuff as you got uh that's it, it, it can be a good process but other than that the move is is stressful but i'm psyched to have everything down in dc which by the way will also help for doing things like shields high podcast because i'll have more of my gear at home so i'm looking forward to all that and with that in mind my friends my colleagues my fellow patriots it is time to take a quick pause and then come in a roll call The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for Roll Call. That may be my favorite Roll Call. I don't know what, I'm a little, I just, that one gets me a little excited. I was into the, uh. The dubstep, but now I really I like I like the jazzy ones, man. I, I'm telling you, the saxophone, it's like extinct now. What happened to the sax? You know, let's just put it out there. It used to be a thing you'd hear, man. I used to walk around Central Park in the summertime, and you would hear, and they'd usually set up the guys who would play. They would set up near one of the uh, overpass walks where there's kind of a it's a bridge, and, and then you can walk underneath it or go over it, and but it creates a, a an obviously an echo and a, kind of a deep sound. And you hear guys just 
jamming out on the sax. I think the saxophone is like practically extinct. I don't know what happened. Is it just because people made so many jokes about Kenny G? You know, you don't really hear it anymore. Kenny G also did. Didn't he do clarinet too? Wasn't that a, a woodwind instrument? Fun fact. Uh, all right. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. If you want to be a part of Roll Call, Roll Call is fantastic. You know you love it. I love it. So uh, send me your thoughts on the show or any of the shows for that matter. If you got thoughts on Rising, if you got thoughts on, you know, you name it, check it out. And I hope you enjoyed the, that I got to do some Greg Gutfeld show over the weekend. That was a lot of fun. Thank you. Those of you who saw me on there and had nice things to say, I always appreciate that. It makes me feel like I'm at home. When the team is uh, is watching, when I'm doing things outside of, of the hut. So thank you so much for that. All right, first up here is Michael, who writes, Trump's Iran tweet may be the greatest tweet ever. Who'd have thunk he'd be conducting foreign policy via Twitter? Well, Michael, who'd have thunk is right. And uh, yeah, man, it's, uh, it's quite a surprise. Mika writes, Buck. Um, hold on a second. Uh, you are the best. Thank you so much. Uh, Nathaniel, what's up, Buck? Shields high. I'm hearing the combative rhetoric and the State Department's uh, work to discredit the Iranian regime. Makes me wonder if one of the things Trump asked Putin in their meeting is how much Russia has Iran's back. I mean, if things get ugly with Iran, is Russia going to back them up or support regime change? They had that conversation. I'm hoping Putin was honest. Um... Well, you know, the, the problem is I don't think I mean, I think you can count on Putin not being honest. And no one really has a a good answer to that question. I mean, what, what. How much can you expect the Iranian regime to or the Russians to back the Iranian regime in Syria? I think the answer is a lot. And it's a lot more than anything we're willing to do in response to them there. So you have to keep that in mind. Remember, it's not, it's always when you're talking geopolitics and looking at how we can involve ourselves or whether we should or shouldn't it's a whole different conversation but in uh, in foreign national security situations you got to remember that there's capability and will and these are very important things right we may not or, or rather we may have orders of magnitude better capability to do uh you know to, to, to fight against an enemy in a certain country but if we don't want to be there If we don't want to take a single casualty to U.S. troops in that country because we don't view that as in our interest and it's not our problem, well, then another country nearby, like Russia, for example, not that it's particularly nearby, but you know what I mean, another country can decide, well, we'll take casualties. We may not have the Americans' capabilities, but we have a much greater will. This is also one of the problems in Ukraine, folks. Ukraine, which means borderland, uh, is a very... Notice how... I was one of the early ones who was telling everybody it's not the Ukraine, and now everyone's finally caught on. But for a long time, everybody would call it the Ukraine. And I actually knew a uh, Ukrainian lady in D.C. Um, who was uh, was uh, quite lovely. And, and she explained to me once, and I remembered. So all it takes is one very lovely Ukrainian lady, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I will never again say the Ukraine. Uh, so that's one thing that's changed, which is, uh, which is a good thing. Uh, but yeah, in Ukraine, the Russians have way deeper and more serious. Um, look, I'll be honest, way deeper, more serious interest than we do. You know, we're trying to like, you know, oh, yeah, we want stability. And, you know, we're trying to keep be global cop and keep things going. The Russians view Ukraine as uh, a, if not central buffer for them against NATO and European 
what they view as, as the European threat. We never think of it in that context. The Russians are worried about the Europeans come after them, undermining them. I mean, the Russian regime, at least, views Europe as very aggressive in many ways. So remember, we have a whole alliance, folks, of a lot of countries that are just like, if Russia steps out of line, we will crush them. The Russians are kind of like, hey, whoa, we're not the Soviet Union anymore. But I digress. Keith, right? Buck, shields high from the People's Republic of Seattle. I'm an Air Force vet, airline captain, and nearly retired. Two things. Please do a segment for uh, a segment on Roe v. Wade for dummies and why it's bad law. And two, explain how your hair could ever be mistaken for Tucker's. Great job on Greg Gutfeld. Keith from Seattle. Well, Keith, thank you very much. I'm just going to say it right now. Look, Tucker's got really first-class hair, you know? You got to respect the hair game there. He's on point with the hair. I do, too. You know, there's room for two sets of great... There's room for two great mains in this world. And so I... And I I don't think our mains are all that similar. You know, mine's a little lighter, you know, a little fuller, a little more luxurious. And, you know, I just think that we're not... We're just not that alike. Yes, that. But this was one of the main jokes from Gutfeld's show. Because Greg did. It really happened in the break, and then it almost happened again. But he, he basically called me Tucker. And that's why Sharon writes in with her roll call message today. Just Tucker with lots of crying, laughing emoji faces. Yep. That's what happened, Sharon. Uh, Alan. Alan's trying to start some noise here. Three toppings. Pepperoni, bacon, Pineapple equals delicious. Just saying. You know, Alan, I am a big proponent of mixing salty and sweet. I find it is generally a a very good thing to do. Um, I'm I'm a big... I'm going to tell you guys something. I'm a little weird. Miss Molly knows this, but I'll share this with you because you guys are like family. Everybody listens to the show as like an extension of our Team Buck family. Um, I even like to eat chicken nuggets with buffalo sauce and then follow it up immediately with a little bit of chocolate and some milk. It's a delicious combination. Not at the same time. I'm not a savage, but a little bit of chocolate and milk because the milk counteracts the spicy from the chicken nuggets. I eat a lot of chicken nuggets. I will say that a lot, um, especially these days because Molly's not around to cook because uh, she's up in New York. So that will change soon. But for the time being, I've been living out of the freezer. Man, it's, it's, like, it's like bachelor life. You know, it's like I've been uh, living on a mattress. Eating chicken nuggets <laughs> sounds so depressing. I swear, it's been good. It's been fine. It's like, all I do is work and eat chicken nuggets and sleep on a mattress on the ground. No, it's been great, man. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm down here. I'm swamp-tastic. It's all good. Uh, Drew, next up here. Hey, Buck, what's the name of the book you're reading on the Crusades? Well, Drew, I think what you're talking about is... Uh, the book I'm reading on the conquistadors, because I'm almost finished with it right now. Uh, but there's a book I'm reading by uh, Buddy Levy is the author. Conquistador, uh, Hernan Cortez, Montezuma, and the Last Stand of the Aztecs. Uh, uh, it's very good. It's a very good book. Uh, and the Cortez story, it's tr- when you read it, you're like, this is Game of Thrones. I mean, this is... It's the level of violence and just the the deviousness and the maneuverings on both sides. And it's it's amazing that, 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 you know, I feel like it was a two paragraph thing that we talked about when I was in school. Yeah, Cortez, he took over the Aztecs and he got rid of all the native peoples and it was really bad. You know, it's a 
fascinating, complex story. Obviously, you know this is going to be true. Obviously, you know when we finish our Cross versus Crescent series, then we're doing Conquistadors on, oh, that's right. See, I like to give you guys a little preview on Shields High. That'll be the, so I'm already doing advanced research for it. The Shields High is coming back. My mom this weekend was like, Buck, you should bring Shields High back. I'm like, Mom, you're right, because she likes it. So uh, it's coming back. All right, that's going to be it for today in the Hut team. Uh, thank you so much for being here, as always. Uh, of course, you know tomorrow. Please do download the uh, Freedom Hut podcast. Great conversation with Jen and I Abila last week. Until next time, friends, Shields High. I really understand, man. These days, if you need a little bit of a boost, a little of a pick-me-up, whether it's 2 p.m. at your desk or before you get fired up for a workout or just pushing through your day, take care of the kids, keep the home front running, you need something sometimes to give you a little boost to energy. And you know what? I have a secret weapon for you, Strike Force Energy. It is a veteran-owned and American-made product, and it's one of the hottest new energy products on the market. And over the last three years, Strike Force has shipped millions of packets of its energy liquid to our troops, both at home and abroad. And now we're bringing this battlefield-proven liquid directly to your door. It's got zero sugar, zero calories, folks, only the, the best possible ingredients. And for every packet you buy, Strike Force will donate a packet to military members around the globe. Go check it out for yourself. StrikeForceEnergy.com. Enter discount code BUCK. That's StrikeForceEnergy.com. Discount code B-U-C-K at checkout. And for every packet you buy, they'll donate one to military members overseas and at home.